Um, if you have uh, your Bibles, uh, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 1, and we're verse 1 and 2. And today's actually our, how many weeks have we been in Hebrews? Three weeks, right? When we are talking about the supremacy of the Son of God, the supremacy of Jesus, studies in the book of Hebrews. Uh, we have been in that first verse so far for three weeks, and we're talking about, again, the book of Hebrews. The whole book is about how Jesus, as the Son of God, is superior than all the Old Testament prophets and Moses and the, the, the angels and the, the high priests of the Old Testament. Because the, the Hebrews, the people that the author of Hebrews wrote this book to, they were Jewish at some point, and they became Christian, and now they wanted to go back to their Jewish roots and their Jewish faith. So the author of Hebrews wrote this book to tell them not to do it, warn them not to do it. And in order for him to tell them why they shouldn't do it, he told them that Jesus, the New Testament, is far more superior than the Old Testament. And then he warned them and gave them some explicit instructions on not to go back to Judaism. Now, the very first part, the very first four verses that the author of Hebrews wrote in this book, he's arguing that Jesus is superior than the prophets of the Old Testament. The first point, because Jesus delivered a superior message than the message that the Old Testament prophets have delivered. And that's what he was saying here in Hebrews 1, 1 to the first part of verse 2. Let's read this together, okay? So this way I know you follow me. Let's read it all out loud and read it all together. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophet has in these last days spoken to us in his son. Can we read it one more time? God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers in or by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us in the son. What we have said so far is that the message that God has delivered through his son Jesus was far more superior than the message he has delivered through the prophets. Because the message he delivered through the prophets in the Old Testament, there was a lot of fragmentation in it, right? It was delivered in various times. It was delivered in various ways. It was delivered through various prophets, right? But the message that he has delivered through his son is final and complete message that is not fragmented like the way he delivered the message in the Old Testament, right? There's no various ways. It's only one way, his son Jesus. There's no various times. It's only in the last time, in the time where God fulfills all his promises. And there's no various prophets. It is the one who acts in the nature, who has the very nature of the Son of God. Amen? Today, we're going to try to zoom in a little bit more on that very last part. God spoke to us in his son. Amen? What did God say? What did God speak through the New Testament believers, the author of Hebrews, through his son? And what is God speaking to you and me today through his son? That's what we're going to be talking about. Amen? Now, I want you to notice one thing first. 
there is both continuity and superiority when it comes to comparing how God spoke through the prophets and God spoke through the Son. You guys follow me? So there's continuity. The same God who spoke through the prophets in the Old Testament also spoke in the, in the Son in the New Testament. Amen? So we expect that the message is not going to be uh, much different. But we expect here that the message will be more superior. You guys follow me? It might not be different, but it's definitely superior. The way God spoke through the prophets or in the prophets versus the way God spoke in his son. Let's, let's dig a little bit deeper. And obviously you can take this to, to cover many, many messages that God spoke through the prophets and spoke through his son. But I just want to highlight three specific messages that God spoke in the prophets, in the Old Testament, and he also spoke the exact same messages in the Son, in the New Testament. He just spoke it a little bit louder and a whole lot more clearer when he spoke it in his Son. You guys follow me? Yeah. All right, so let's go. Number one, the first message is that God warned the people of the wrath to come through the prophets and through his Son. Number two, God declared his love to his people through the prophets and through the son. And number three, God called the people to repentance through the prophets and also through that son. You guys follow me? Let's, let's say these three points together to make sure you're awake. Number one, God warned the people of the wrath to come in the prophets or through the prophets and he did it through the son. Number two, God declared his love for his people through the prophets, and he did it through the son. Number three, God called his people to repentance through the prophets, and he did it also through his son. Again, continuity, but superiority. Let's talk about the first one. God warned the people of their wrath to come. If you read throughout the Old Testament... A lot of people read that through, throughout the Old Testament and say, how can you guys worship this God? He's a bloodthirsty God, always punishing people, always pouring out his wrath on the people. But if you read the Old Testament, you can never come to the conclusion that the God of the Old Testament is a God who is angry at people who just want to punish them and want to shed their blood. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. When you read the Old Testament, you see that God is a God of love and grace and mercy who loves the people, who doesn't want them to die and perish. They're, they're inflicting judgment upon themselves by sinning against God. And God keeps sending his people to them so they can be warned from the judgment that they're bringing upon, the, upon themselves by sinning against God. You guys follow me? Yeah. Almost every prophet in the Old Testament brought a message of warning to the people that God is holy and he doesn't like sin and if you continue on sinning there is nothing waiting for you except judgment and wrath for example Ezekiel Ezekiel 33 7 God told Ezekiel this so you son of man I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel therefore what is Ezekiel's job as a prophet you shall hear a word from my mouth and do what and warn them for me. Warn them that the judgment too is coming and they need to escape, right? Why did God send Jonah to Nineveh? What was the whole point of sending Jonah to Nineveh? God wanted to warn the people of Nineveh that they have sinned against him. And there is judgment waiting for them. He sent Jonah to tell them not to perish and die, but rather to come back to God. Amen? 
Jonah 1, 1 to 2. Here is what the Bible says. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and do what? What is the job for the prophet Jonah? Cry against it. For their wickedness have come up before me. Cry against it. Warn them because their wickedness have come up to me. As a matter of fact, we can read in Jeremiah that was really the point of almost all the prophets. Look at this. God is saying through Jeremiah 44, 4 to 6, However, I, he's talking about how wicked the people were before and how they rejected God. However, I have sent to you all my servants. How many of them? All, all of them, all my servants, the prophet, look at this, doing what? <clears throat> Rising early and sending them. God is saying, it is not that I took the initiatives, God says. You know, I rose up early. Obviously, God doesn't sleep, but the idea here is obviously metaphoric that God says, I woke up early, I couldn't even sleep at night. I woke up early so I can send the prophets to you. All my prophets I have sent to you so they can warn you, saying, what is the message that kept God up, kept God up at night that he wanted to deliver so badly to the children of Israel. Here is the message saying, oh, do not do this abdominal thing that I hate. But they did not listen or incline their ear or turn from their wickedness to burn no incense to other gods. So my fury and my, my fury and my anger was poured out and kindled in the city of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. And they were wasted and desolate all it is as it is this day. You guys see that? It's God's heart that the people of Israel will not die or perish, but they kept on bringing the judgment and the wrath of God on themselves. Yet God, who loves the people so much, the Bible says that he rose rising early every single day. Not just once. Hey, I sent you one warning message and I'm done. It's your responsibility after that. But the Bible says rising early and sending them. And other times in Jeremiah said God, God did that daily. Every single time God said, I own always send prophets to you to warn you but you did not want it to heed you did not want it to listen and you brought up the judgment upon yourselves amen God sent the prophets to warn the people that they have sinned against God and there is judgment waiting for them and guess what God sent Jesus to deliver to us almost the exact same message that we have sinned against God and there is a judgment and wrath waiting for us. And Jesus came to warn us from that. Not because God is mean and nasty and just to enjoy punishing us. It's quite the opposite because he loves us. Because he doesn't want nobody to die and perish. That's why he sent his son to warn us from the judgment to come. Amen? As a matter of fact, let me ask you a question, a pop quiz, and the answer is there. Whom do you think is the person who spoke more about hell in the whole Bible? Number one person in terms of volume, the number of words he said about hell. Throughout, exactly. Nobody spoke about hell more than Jesus throughout, in the, whole, throughout the whole Bible. Why would Jesus do that? Because he came with a message of warning. That if, if we, that we have sinned against God and that our sins is our own destruction and if we continue our own path, there is nothing waiting for us except the judgment and the wrath of God. Amen? Amen. Sadly, we live in a time where 
sadly, preachers and pastors brag about the fact that they don't talk about hell anymore. Yeah, it's, like, it's like if you talk about hell, you're doing something that is absolutely awful. So they, they, they brag, oh, I try to invite people to Jesus, but I really don't want to talk about hell. I really want to mention it to them. Why? Because people might be offended. We live in a culture where people don't want to be hearing about hell, and I don't want to offend anybody. Well, you want to hear my answer to that? Well, two things. Number one, the argument that if you talk about hell, people will be offended is absolutely absurd. It doesn't even make any sense. If I'm driving my car, and my wife is sitting next to me, and I'm about to miss a stop sign, which I quite frankly do, guess what my wife does? She yells at me, uh, kindly. Don't tell her that I said that. Um, she yells at me, and what does she say? Watch out, right? Yeah. And she doesn't say it. I mean, you know my wife. She's the sweetest person in the world. She doesn't, she's not very sweet when she want to warn me. You know what I mean? She's precise. She's sharp. She's using as few words as possible. And she speaks very loudly and very clearly. You know why? Because she want to warn me that there is something wrong I'm about to do. And I might get in trouble for doing that, right? Let me ask you a question. Do I get offended when my wife, who usually speaks very kindly and very low tone to me, just speak very burst in that cry and say, watch out? Do I get offended? No. I shouldn't, right? And I don't, right? I get offended if she does it in other things, like wash the dishes. I get offended. <laughs> but yeah, when it comes to sub signs and danger, and she say it loud and clear and sharp and precise, I don't get offended. You know why? Because I know her heart. I know when she's saying that, she's saying because she loves me. She might not have delivered it in the best of tones, but guess what? The situation doesn't call the best of tones, right? She calls her to be sharp, precise, right to the point, and she does it out of love, and I don't get offended, right? It's the exact same thing when we Christians go and tell people about hell. Hell is real. God is going to judge sin. There is no compromise in that. And if we don't warn the people, then we are robbing people of the warning that they deserve to hear. Amen? And if we say it in a loving, kind manner, yet not compromising the truth, then people should not be offended. That's, that's argument number one. Argument number two, if people get offended, let them be offended. Amen? As long as you're doing it right, you're delivering it in love, whoever gets offended gets offended. I tell you one thing about myself. I'd rather offend people than offend Jesus. Amen? If it, hell was good enough for Jesus to talk about, it's good enough for me to talk about. Amen? Yeah. If somebody want to get offended, I can't help that. So be it, right? Yeah. So don't worry about it. Just deliver the message, but deliver it in love. Amen? I'm not asking you to go stand on the corner of the street and point to people and say, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying here. You need to deliver the truth in love. Amen? Yeah. My impression living in America for the last almost 20 years is that there's so much love, but there's no much truth in that way we talk to people. You should have both. Truth in love. Amen? Jesus came and he talked about hell more than anybody else in the whole Bible. Let me just highlight a couple of things how Jesus described hell to us. Number one, Jesus described hell as an outer darkness. Matthew 8, 12. He said, but the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into what? The outer darkness. This is how Jesus described it. Matthew 13, 40. 42, Jesus described it as the fiery furnace. He said this, 
Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all the causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them where? In the fiery furnace. I talked about this second time I preached here in, in Franconia. If you don't remember, go back and listen to the sermon. What I told you back then, I want to remind you of it. When Jesus was talking about a fiery furnace, he's not talking about the oven that you have in your kitchen where you can bake your food, right? The word Jesus used here is the exact same furnace that people of that time used to, to melt iron and metal so they can do swords and all kinds of weapons and all kinds of pots and stuff like that. And if you look up, the average degree where, where iron and, and, and metal actually melt so you can actually shape it to form whatever you want to do out of it is roughly about 2,000 Fahrenheit degree. 2,000. 2,000. You get that number? Yeah. I don't know about you. I get irritated at 100 degrees, right? It's too hot. I can't do it. I want to run to the AC, right? Now, we're not talking about 100 or 110. We're talking about 2,000 thousand degrees that is going to be for all eternity. Jesus said it's the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's in Matthew 24, 49 to 50. Gnashing of teeth and weeping from two things. Number one, the pain that is too hard to describe. And number two, for the regret. Because every person who heard the gospel and say no to the love of God and end up in that place for all eternity, he has eternity to regret saying no to the divine son of God. Amen? And that will be a lot of regret. Jesus described it as a place of torment in the story he told in Luke 16 about the rich man and Lazarus. And he said the very last two lines here, that the, the Lazarus in the tomb in, in, in Hades was crying out. He looked Father Abraham up, front, up, up high and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Why? For I am what? Tormented in this fire, in this flame. It's a place of conscious, conscious torment in fire. And number three, it's eternal place. Jesus said that this place has unquenchable fire. Fire that never ceases to burn. Amen? Yeah. I uh, was talking to one of my dear friends one time, long time ago. Jehovah Witnesses don't believe in, in literal hell. They believe it's just a, a, a metaphor. And they say, you know, once you die, you vanish from existence. But here's my simple argument to this. If, you, if a sinner dies and they just cease from existence the moment, moment they die, then why is the fire of hell unquestionable? Why does it last forever if you don't need it? What's the point of burning this fire for all eternity? The fire is eternal because the soul of man will be tormented consciously, eternally in that lake of fire. Amen? Amen. Jesus came to warn us about hell. Because he loves us. He's not being judgmental. He's not being mean. He loves us. And part of his love to us is to warn us that if we sin against God, there's a massive judgment that is waiting for us. Amen? God spoke to us in the prophets and he warned the people of the judgment to come. The same God also spoke to us in his son. And he warned us from the judgment to come. Amen? But number two, God declared his love to his people 
through the prophets in the Old Testament. God spoke to his people to tell them that he loves them throughout the prophets in the Old Testament. And the same God spoke to us in his son to tell us that he loves us. Amen? Amen. Let me highlight a few scriptures here in the Old Testament. Talking about the Old Testament, how God is a God of judgment. I don't know what Old Testament people read when they say that. Look at this. God sent Moses in the book of Deuteronomy 7, 7, 8. And what did Moses the prophet deliver to the children of Israel? Here it is. A message from God. The Lord did not set his anger, Says it says. Does it? What does it say? The Lord did not set his love on you. Nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the other people. For you were the least of all the people. But because why did the Lord set his love on you? But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he has sworn to your father. The Lord has brought you out to out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the land of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God is saying through Moses that the very reason I showed you kindness in the land of Egypt is not because you're a mighty nation. It's not because you're a greatest of all. It's not because you're a smartest of all. The only reason I showed you grace and mercy is because I love you. That's what God said. God elaborated the same message again through Hosea, the exact same thing. And God said, when Israel was a child, a little baby, still in the land of Egypt, not even a nation yet. What did you do, God, to Israel as a child? I loved him. And out of Egypt, I have called my son. Amen? God sent Moses to tell the people of Israel that he loved them. God sent Jeremiah with this message. Here is the message that God sent through Jeremiah. The Lord has appeared of all to me saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Amen? Amen. God told Hosea the prophet to go marry a prostitute. Again, think about it. A man of God, highly revered, loves holiness. God commands him to go marry an adulterous woman. Why? Here it is. Hosea 3.1 Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. Look at this. Just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who took to other gods and love the raising cakes of the pagans. God is saying, Hosea, go marry a prostitute who probably going to cheat on you and treat you rotten. Because that is an example of how I love the children of Israel. I love them so much, yet they treat me rotten and they keep cheating on me with some other dumb gods. Malachi 1-2, I have loved you, says the Lord. I have what? Loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way you have loved us? Has not, has not Esau, um, was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob and I have hated Esau. God say, I love you. You are Jacob, the descendant of Jacob, and I love you. Well, let me just pause here for a second. Address that second part. How about hating Esau? Is, did God hate Esau? No. God didn't. Remember in the New Testament, Jesus said what? Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to carry your cross and follow me all day long. And then Jesus said, if you follow me and you don't hate your father and your mother and your wife and your children, then you don't deserve to be my disciple, right? Obviously, the same Jesus who said, love your enemy is not going to tell you hate your parents. You guys follow me? 
So what is Jesus talking about when he said, hate your parents and your wife and your kids for my sake? Jesus is saying that you have to love me so much so that every love you have for any other being should be so dim in comparison to the love that you have for me. Amen? He's not asking you to go hate anybody. Amen? This is not our Jesus, right? And it's the exact same thing that God is talking about here. When he said, I hated Esau, he's not hating Esau. If you read throughout the Old Testament, he's who has... 12 kids, just like Jacob. God blessed him with land and wealth, just like Jacob. But all his promises was fulfilled through Jacob. Amen? So when God says, I hated Esau, it's not that God really hated Esau. He loved him and he blessed him. But his love for Jacob was a whole lot more. All the promises was fulfilled through Jacob. So much so that it seemed like God hated Esau compared to the love that he has for Jacob. You guys follow me? But God doesn't hate anybody. Amen? God sent the prophet with a message. God spoke to us in the prophet to say that he loves us. And guess what? The same God who spoke through the prophets to tell us that he loves us, he also spoke to us in his son to tell us that he loves us. Amen? If you guys remember, the first week we talked about this, we said that the Greek of Hebrew 1 doesn't say by the prophets or through the prophets or by the son or through the son. It literally says God spoke to us in the prophets and in the son. Amen. And what we talked about is this. When God spoke to us in the prophets and in the son, it is not that just God delivered messages through their lips, which he did, but God through their lives also spoke to us and declared who he is to us through the way they lived. Right? We talked about Hosea and how God commanded him to marry an adulterous woman. And through that, through Hosea, God spoke in him, in his life situation, to tell us that he loves us. Amen? And the same God also spoke to us, not just through his son to tell us that he loves us, but in his son, he spoke to us and he told us that he loves us. Amen? Through the life and death and resurrection of Christ, God has declared to each one of us that he loves us so much. Amen? John 3.16, for God so loved the world. God loved the world so much. How much? Here is how much. He gave his one and only son. This is how much God loved every single person in this world. He loved every single person in this world, including you and me. So much so that it was easy for him that he put his son on the cross, crushed him under his wrath, so you and me can have eternal life. Amen? This is how great of love God has for you and me. The cross of Christ is the declaration of his love for you and me. Amen? Amen. Romans 5, 7 to 8. Look at this, what Paul is saying. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. Right? But God, look at this. But God demonstrated his love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners did what? Christ died for us. I told you this illustration before, but I'm going to repeat it again. I'm going to pick up on Barb. Let's say Barb is a really good person in this church, okay? She's good to everybody. She's generous with everybody. Everybody loves Barb. On the other hand, I'm a lousy person, and nobody cares about me, right? That's, that sounds about fair. It's not really an illustration. It's a fact. <laughs> I'm a lousy person. I'm mean to everybody. Nobody likes me. I'm always nasty to everybody, and nobody really cares much about me. 
And Barbie's driving a car, God forbid she got in the car wreck, and now she has, sorry Barb, she has to go to jail for a year or something like that to, to pay that price. And you guys get together and say, you know, Barb is just a, such a sweet lady, and if she goes to jail for a year, this church would really collapse. On the other hand, that guy, Cammy, really, we don't really much care for him. If he leaves today, it's no problem. It's actually it's a good thing if he, can, if he can get rid of him. So you guys get together, and then you say, Cammy, we want to meet with you. We want to talk to you. It's like, sure, what do you have? It's like, you know how everybody loves Barb? It's like, yeah, I know. And you know how nobody cares about you? Yeah, I know. All right, why don't you... Okay, this is what you're telling me. Why don't you go and take Barb's place and go to jail on her behalf, take her place for a year? What do you think I will say? No way, right? Well, you start sweetening up that, the deal for me a little bit. It's like, okay, how about some money? I was like, how much money? And you say, how about $10,000? No way, no deal. And you start bargaining with me a little bit. Maybe how about we'll, we'll give you half a million dollars? For one year, I might consider it at this point, right? <laughs> so do you see the idea here that for somebody who is good, who's good, maybe the Bible says scarcely, like very rarely, that somebody will die for them, will take their place, right? The Bible says, yet perhaps, now for sure, it is a, there is a chance, there is a chance, but not for sure, that for a good person, not for a bad person, for a good person, person. You guys follow me? Yeah. Somebody might, might, perhaps might. Do you see what Paul is saying here? There is a very rare chance that this could ever happen. Yet perhaps for a good person, someone might even dare to die. Amen? Yeah. There's a chance, slim chance, very, very slim chance that this could happen. But when God loved you and me, amen, when God wanted to demonstrate his love for you and me, God blew up all our logic and all what is our understanding of what love is. But God demonstrated his love for us, toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were ungodly, the godly one came and died for us. While we were wicked, the holy one came and died for us. While we were breaking the law of God, the one who never committed a sin came and died for us. Amen? The one that was so evil and so wicked that is you and me has been replaced by the one who is so good and so holy. That is Jesus who died for you and me. Amen? You guys follow what Paul is saying here. Perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But when God loved you and me, when God wanted to show his love for you and me, he blew our logic away. He blew our understanding of what love is away. Because Jesus came and he died for you and me. Amen? First yeah. John 4, 9 and 10. This is how the Bible defines the word God. It loved. You know, when you want to have a definition of the word, you go to a dictionary, right? This is how the Bible, the Bible dictionary of the word love, how the Bible define it. Here's what John said. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that we are financially blessed, that we live in the suburbs, that we are very kind people to one another, right? It says that. That's not my Bible. It doesn't say that God manifested his love to us in this way. 
The Bible say in this, the love of God was manifested toward us. Not that you're white, not that you're American, not you live in the suburbs, not that you're financially blessed. None of that shows you that God really loves you. Do you want to know if God really loves you? Here it is. That God has sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Amen? That is the one demonstration of the love of God for the human race. Amen? There is nothing else tells you that God loves you more than the cross of Christ. Amen? And there is the, the very definition of the word love. In this is love. This is Bible definition of the word love. Here it is. Yeah. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation, a covering, an atonement for our sins. Yeah. That is the very definition of what the love of God is. Amen. If you ever question the love of God, look at the cross of Christ. Amen? If you ever say, oh, why me, God? Why am single, God? Why am married, God? Why am poor, God? Why am rich, God? Why this? Why that? If you ever question that God loves you, all what you have to do is just take a glance at the cross of Christ. That's where you see that God truly loves you. Nothing else can tell you that God loves you more than the cross of Jesus. Amen? God has sent his prophet to tell his people that he loves them and he sent his son to tell you and me that he loves us so much so that it was easy for him to crush his son on the cross. Amen? How? How is Jesus dying on the cross declares and show us the love of God? You guys follow me? I'll use this example that I told you multiple times before. If I I'm guilty before the law, speeding or whatever the case is, 55 and 35, and I go to court and I'm guilty before the law because I broke it. And the law says, pay the fine or go to jail. And they cannot pay the fine, right? I have to go to jail, right? Again, over and over, I told you this before, the judge will not care if I'm a pastor. The judge will not care if I'm a good father. The judge will not care if I'm a pharmacist, if I help people. Nothing matter to the judge except one thing, right? I broke the law and I am stuck under the penalty of the law. Whatever the law says, I have to pay. There is no go with the judge before that penalty is being paid. You guys follow me? And that's precisely what is happening to you and me before a holy and a righteous God. We all sinned against God. We lied, we stole, we, we cheated, we manipulated, we, we, we used God's name in vain. We broke the law of God. And it doesn't matter how good of a person you are. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. It doesn't matter how hard you try. You are a guilty person before a holy and a righteous God. Amen? And because you broke the law of God, you are under the judgment of God. And guess what? You and me are stuck under the punishment of our sins before a holy and a righteous God. Amen? And there is nothing that we can bring to the table to undo the breaking of the law of God that we have already done. Right? Right? And we are doomed in that dead end. There is no way out for us. We broke the law. We have to pay for it. And God who is holy and righteous cannot do nothing about it unless the law is satisfied. Amen? Now this is how God manifested his love for us because Jesus, the son of God, came and he died on the cross on your behalf and my behalf and he paid the penalty of your sins and my sins. Amen? And when Jesus took our place and took our judgment, he took care of that block, that dead end that we were in under the judgment and the wrath of God. He took care of that. He done away with it. He, he paid the fine. He, took, he went to the jail on our behalf. And because of that... Now 
now the law of God is satisfied. And now God is willing and able to accept us back into his kingdom. Amen? If it wasn't for Jesus coming and taking our place, there had been no way for even Mother Teresa or the most holiest of all that we can ever end up in heaven or have any relationship with God. Amen? That's how God showed you that he loves you. That's how God showed you that he loves me. Because he sent Jesus to take care of that block, that stuck, that problem that was unresolvable, that we cannot resolve in our own strength. Amen? Amen. God so loved the world so much so that he gave his one and only son on the cross to be an atonement and a covering for your sin and my sin. Amen? God has sent his prophets to, tell, to warn the people of the judgment to come. And God is, has sent Jesus to warn us from the judgment to come. God has sent the prophets to tell us that he loves us. God has sent Jesus and he showed us that there is no greater love than this. That Jesus, the divine son of the living God, will die on the cross for your sake and my sake. Amen? Amen. Continuity but superiority. Amen? Number three, God has sent his prophet to call people to repentance. Look at this. Many scriptures to count. 2 Kings 17, 13. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets and all the seers. By how many? All of them. That's the point of all the prophets and all the seers. Why did God send many, many prophets? Here it is. Here's the message that they were saying. Amen. What is it? Turn ye from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to the laws which I commanded your father and which I sent to you by my servant, the prophets. The kings here, the book of kings tell us that every single prophet came with that message. Turn ye from your wicked ways. Repent from your sins so you can be forgiven and you will have a chance to be made right with God. Amen. That is the message of every single prophet that God has sent to us. And guess what? This is the precise message that Jesus has come and God spoke to us in his son. He delivered to us the exact same message. Mark 1, 14 to 15. Look at this. This is how Jesus started his ministry. The very first sermon Jesus ever preached. You guys ready to, to hear this? Mark 1, 14 to 15. Now after John was put to prison, Jesus came to Galilee. That's the first time Jesus is preaching. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, Jesus' first sermon, that time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Do what? Repent and believe in the gospel. The very first sermon Jesus preached said, repent. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that the very reason he even came down from heaven and became human like you and me to go to the cross to provide atonement for you and me. And here it is, Luke 5.32. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to what? To repentance. That's why I came, Jesus said. Repentance is a big deal to him if he came for it. Would you agree with me on that? Amen. Jesus said, I have not come to call righteous but sinners to repentance. In, in, in Luke 15, 7, Jesus is talking about the good shepherd who leave the 99 and go after the lost one. And he, that's a type of him. He's saying, I am that good shepherd who leave the 99 and go after the lost sheep. And look at this. After Jesus, the good shepherd, go after the lost one. Look what he says. Luke 15, 7. I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinners who did what? 
repents than over the 99 person who need no repentance. Put that in perspective. What Jesus is saying here is this. I am the good shepherd who leave the 99 and go after the lost sheep. It doesn't matter what it takes. I'll go after that last sheep to bring that sheep to repentance. Right? That's what the shepherd is doing here. When the sheep comes back, the heaven will rejoice because one person has uh, repented. Jesus came to, God spoke to us in the Son that we need to repent. The same way God spoke to the prophets that we need to repent. Amen? Amen. These three messages that God spoke through the prophets and through Jesus, they're, they're overlapping. You cannot really separate one from the other. Because think about it this way. If you sin against God and you're stuck under the punishment and the judgment of the law of God and there is no way for you to get out of it, God loves you. So he sent Jesus to, to provide the way out for you from the judgment of God. And then he warns you that your sin is going to destroy you. And then he invites you to repent, to turn from these ways and take advantage of what Jesus has done for you on the cross so you can be saved. It's all really one message. That's the message of the gospel that God spoke through the prophet and he spoke it to us and not just spoke it but also lived it through us and showed it to us through the life and the death of his son. Amen? Amen. Let me just close with this and then we're all done. One minute. This exact same message that God spoke through the prophets or in the prophets in the Old Testament. Amen? The exact same message that God spoke to you and me in his son when Jesus came and lived and died and was resurrected 2,000 years ago. Amen? Listen to me. Listen to me. This is very important. This is the exact same message that God is still speaking right here, right now to you and to me. Amen? That we all have sinned against a holy and a righteous God. We all are stuck under the penalty of breaking the law of God. And there is nothing that you can do or I can do to undo the judgment that we deserve. Amen? Yet there is a God in heaven who loves you so much that he chose to send his son to die on the cross for your sins to provide the way for you to escape the the judgment and the wrath that you rightly and I rightly deserve. Amen? And the same God is pleading with you this morning saying, don't let sin be your own ruin. I love you and I made a way for you to escape the judgment that you deserve. Amen? Just turn from your sins and start living for me. That's all what I want. So sin will not ruin you for all eternity in that eternal, Christless, fiery furnace that where are you going to be tormented forever and forever. Amen? Friends, God is speaking to you and me. The question is, would you hear him? Would you obey him? Would you say, yes, God, I'm hearing you and I'm going to obey you this morning. Amen? Let's close our eyes and pray.